Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother fool will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on on your way with him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rose. Uh, So we're continuing our series this week in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We've got these great study guides. If you weren't able to pick one of these up uh, last week, um, then we'd love you to raise your hand, and Jack will come around and pass you one if you don't have one already. So in this series, we're, we're talking about what it looks like to live the authentic life. How do our lives begin to look different as we start living in sync with God's purposes, as we start living um, with the grain, not against the grain? Uh, before we get into tonight's passage, let's just uh, begin by praying together. Father, you are a good God, and we do thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you would speak to us. Uh, as we read tonight, as we read these words from Jesus, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, shaping us and forming us and making us more like yourself. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If we ask some of your friends to describe you, uh, if we ask some of your friends to say what it was they think that makes you distinctive, what do you think they'd say? Uh, I thought that I'd ask some of my friends that question this week. What, what, what's unique about me? What are my distinctives? Uh, the first friend that I asked said, oh, well, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. You're just so beige. I thought, oh, heck. <laughs> That's a great way to start. The second friend that I asked said, oh, that's easy. What makes you distinct is your capacity to drink inordinate quantities of tea in the morning. Um, And I thought, well, okay, well, there could be worse things to be known for. Um, But what would your friends say about you if we asked them that question? I'm sure that they'd pick up on some of your funny quirks and idiosyncrasies. Uh, But do you think they'd say anything about your character? Do you think they might say something like, oh, well, what stands about... What stands out to me about my friend? Well, she's just such a person of, of such deep integrity. He's just someone who you can always count on to do what he says he's going to do. She's someone who, who is always just constantly looking out for the needs of the people around her, even, even when there's, there's a cost to herself in that. Oh, actually, I've, I've never seen him get angry. Even in, in really difficult situations, he just always keeps his, his calm and his cool. What would your friends say is distinctive about your character? Uh, Just a quick reminder from last week. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So these are people who have already decided to become followers of Jesus. So Jesus isn't talking about how we become his followers in this sermon. We know that we only become his followers through his grace, um, through the cross. But Jesus is talking about how our lives are going to begin to look different once we become his followers. Once we become his followers, how are our lives going to change? What are they going to look like? And in the passage we're looking at tonight, Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of me, if you're one of my disciples, you're going to be distinctive. There's going to be something that's different about you. And what Jesus says is this, He says, you're going to have a righteousness, a righteousness, that is a depth of character that is brighter because it is deeper. Those are the two words that I want for us to to, to grab a hold of tonight and then carry with us as we head out of here into our weeks, brighter and deeper. Jesus is calling us to a righteousness that is brighter because it is deeper. So let's get straight into the passage um, and have a look at what he says. Number one, Jesus calls us to a brighter righteousness. So Jesus begins with two images. Um, The first is the image of salt. Have a look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Um, Now, we use salt today in basically the same way um, as they used salt back then. Uh, Firstly, we use it as a flavorer. Uh, So I don't know if you've had an experience like this. Have you ever been to McDonald's, say, um, and ordered a large fries, uh, or in my case, two large fries, um, because everyone knows the burgers are gross and the fries are the main attraction. Um, But have you ever ordered your your fries and and, and gotten them and taken them away and and then sat down to eat them and then realized they forgot the salt? There's no salt on there. And it's awful, isn't it? It's terrible because it's, it's the salt that, that makes them. It's the salt that adds the flavor. It's the salt that makes them what they are. Um, and in fact, I'd venture to say that actually discovering there's no salt there is, is even worse than when they give you cold fries 
or even, I would say, worse perhaps than when they give you fries that are only half full. Because it's the salt that adds all the flavor. So salt is a flavorer, but the other thing that we use salt for is actually as a preservative. Now, granted, perhaps um, less so these days than back then, um, but my grandpa actually um, grew up on a farm out past uh, Wiseman's Ferry. Uh, and when he was growing up, the farm had no electricity. And he actually used to tell stories about how um, when he was growing up, they'd, they'd, they'd kill a, a sheep or a cow from the farm and, and, and butcher it up. Um, and then anything that they couldn't eat in the first day or so, they would salt. And the salt would, would be the preservative that would, that would preserve the meat so then it could last for, for quite a long time. So salt makes things better. That's what salt does. It adds flavor. It preserves. And Jesus is saying to us, be like salt. Be salt. Be people who, who live lives that add flavor to the world. Be people who, who act as a preserving influence in this world that is broken down and decaying. And then Jesus shifts his imagery. And in verse 14, he starts talking about light. Have a look. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, my family is a camping family. Um, so I have lots of good childhood memories of going out on camping trips with my family. Um, some of my best uh, memories are of trips where we went right out west, right out into the desert uh, where the dirt is red and where uh, it's just flat as anything. And you can see just for miles and miles and miles to the horizon, um, out to places where you can go a whole day of driving without seeing anyone. I have great memories of those kinds of places. But the thing about those kinds of places is that once nighttime comes and the sun goes down and once all your lights are out, the darkness is so thick, so heavy, you, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. But the interesting thing is that if there's a town somewhere nearby, even if it's miles and miles and miles away, even if you can't see the town itself, what happens is that the light from the town shines up into the clouds and it reflects off the clouds and then kind of shines down from the sky and actually lights the place up. And so Jesus says, be light like that city. Verse 16 in the same way, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Be light. In a world where the darkness is thick and heavy, in a world where people are lost in the dark, be light. Live your life in such a way so that when people look at you, they can't help but say, what, what is it that's, that's different about this person? What is it that makes this person distinctive? Where does their saltiness come from? Where does their light come from? I want to know about that. That's what Jesus is calling us to. A bride of righteousness. But did you notice Jesus say there in verse 13 that the salt can, can lose its saltiness? And did you notice him say, in verse 15, that, that a light can be put under a basket. So, how do we keep our saltiness? How do we keep our, our light from being hidden? How do we continually have this brighter righteousness? 
Well, Jesus gives us the answer in the next part of the passage. He says, we keep our brightness by going deeper. Our righteousness is brighter because it is deeper. So let's keep looking at the next part of the passage, a a deeper righteousness. Let's read from verse 17. Jesus says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, just quickly, the law and the prophets was just a, a shorthand way of referring to what we now would call the Old Testament. And when Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, what he's saying is that all the law and the prophets are all pointing forward to me. They were all looking forward to me and expecting me and, and prophesying me. I'm the main attraction. And then he keeps going, verse 18. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not, not the smallest letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law. Verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then here's the clincher verse. Verse 20, here it is. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are stark words. We might not feel the full force of these words, but but for Jesus here is standing on that mountainside that day, these must have been awfully discouraging words. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, these were law keepers par excellence. There was no one better at it than them. They divided the law up into 365 prohibitions, 248 commandments, and day by day they worked fastidiously to just keep every single one of them. These guys were were the best of the best when it comes to keeping the law. How could anyone hope to have a righteousness that surpassed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Uh, This isn't just idealistic words from Jesus. They seem like downright crazy words. And yet, Jesus says, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So what's he talking about? Well, Jesus is not talking about beating these guys at their own game. No, he's talking about a whole different concept of righteousness altogether. See, here's the thing about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It was very wide, but it wasn't very deep. Just bear with me here for a moment. Imagine if we went on a trip to the Amazon River in South America. According to the Guinness World Records, I looked this up last night, uh, at its widest point, the Amazon River is 11 kilometers wide. 11 kilometers, that's in the dry season. Now, what if I said, I want you to find a river that surpasses that. You might think, well, well, how can any river get any bigger than that? How could we find anything that would surpass that? Well, well, just imagine, what if it was very, very wide? But what if it wasn't very deep? What if it was so shallow that we, we could just walk straight through it? See, the Pharisees, they had a wide righteousness. 365 prohibitions, 248 commands, every sphere of life covered. 
But it was a shallow, legalistic type of righteousness that actually just totally missed the whole point. It was wide, but it wasn't deep. Oh, they were good rule keepers. They were good at keeping the rules. But their hearts were rotten. Jesus will not allow us to be content with a shallow, skin-deep righteousness. What Jesus is driving us towards is a deeper, much deeper, bone-deep righteousness. See, skin-deep righteousness is all about just ticking a box to be able to say that you've followed the rules and done the job. Bone-deep righteousness is about having a heart that's been totally transformed by God from the inside out and and a heart that, that loves God and wants to please him in everything. And that is what Jesus is after. Nothing less. Um, The principal of my college, SMBC, uh, Stuart Colton, he spoke on this passage a few months ago. And and he made a point that I thought was was very interesting. He pointed out that the, the righteousness of the Pharisees is actually, in some ways, a very easy righteousness to achieve. There's lots of rules. It's very demanding but it's easier than what Jesus is calling us to. It's easier because it's finite. There's a limit to it. It's external. But the righteousness that Jesus is demanding of us is actually so much more exacting than that. It requires more than just rearranging our external behaviors. It's actually about a a total transformation of the deepest recesses of our hearts. That's what Jesus is talking about. Do you know people who have that kind of bone-deep righteousness, that kind of righteousness that just wells up out of a deep love for God? The person that comes to my mind is is my sister. Uh, She's had a a very uh, tough couple of years Uh, But time and time again, I have seen her being willing to make costly choices and being willing to take the hard road. And it's because she has such depth of character and such deep love for God that just overflows. And I tell you what, it is magnetic. It's magnetic, isn't it? When you see that kind of heart righteousness in someone. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I want to be a person of depth. So Jesus says to us, shine brighter. How do you do that? You shine brighter by going deeper and allowing God to transform you from the inside out. In the next few pages of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is going to give us six examples of what this kind of deeper righteousness looks like when it plays out. Uh, Tonight, we're just going to look at the first of these six examples, and then we'll be looking at the other ones in coming weeks. So this is a a bit of a worked example of this deeper righteousness. So have a look again at verse 21. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Um, Now, probably so far, we're probably pretty on board with this. Probably most of us, most of the time, find that a pretty easy law to keep. But Jesus continues, verse 22. 
But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And to whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. Well, that escalated quickly. What's Jesus talking about? Is he saying that the anger is on par with murder? Is he saying that, that, that harsh words of contempt are on par with murder? Well, I think that Jesus is deliberately using uh, pretty strong language to, to, to shake us out of our, um, out of our to give us a shake-up. Um, but I do think the answer is yes. See, the point is that murder is an outward manifestation of, of an inward attitude of the heart. See, murder is the fruit. That's the fruit that you can see. But anger is the root that lies beneath the surface. And Jesus says, don't just deal with the fruit that you can see. Cut it off at the root. And then Jesus gives us two stories to illustrate his point. Um, from verses 23 down to 26. The first story is about a man who goes to the temple to offer a gift. The second story is about someone who's being taken to court. Um, the point of both the stories is the same. Uh, dealing with anger and restoring broken relationships has got to be our first priority. We can't let things fester. We can't let things go unresolved. So Jesus says to the person offering a, a gift in the temple, leave your gift, drop it, go, find your brother, make amends with him first before you do anything else. And he says to the person being taken to court, don't wait till you get there. Don't wait till you're sitting before the judge. Seek a settlement now. When it comes to our relationships, when it comes to anger and hurt and forgiveness, we can't be content with with shallow, skin-deep righteousness. We can't be content with just avoiding the, the outward extreme expressions of our anger while, while allowing it to just bubble away happily beneath the surface. No, Jesus is calling us to pursue bone-deep righteousness, to deal with our anger, to forgive those who have hurt us, to seek reconciliation. So what might this look like for us? Let me just offer a couple of, couple of quick thoughts. Perhaps as you're sitting here tonight, you, you might be aware of a, a relationship in your life, perhaps here at church, perhaps at work. A relationship, though, where things look good on the surface. There's no open conflict. You're not being passive-aggressive. Everything's very calm and polite. But you know that beneath the surface... It's a different story. You know that beneath the surface, that the frustration and the self-righteous anger and the contempt are just bubbling away in your heart. Jesus won't allow us to be content with that state of affairs. He calls us to deal with our anger, to let go of our hurt, to stop indulging that sense of superiority, even when it's all only on the inside. On Thursday morning this week, as I was getting ready for the day, uh, an old colleague of mine, a frustrating colleague of mine, popped into my head, as they sometimes do. 
And all of a sudden, all of my, my anger and my, my sense of kind of self-righteous, I'm in the right, they're in the wrong, all of my frustration, it all just rose up within me all of a sudden. By the way, I quit my job two years ago, so this is not, you know, this didn't happen last week. It all rose up within me. And you know what? I indulged it. And actually, I enjoyed it. Because let the honor says something that feels good about indulging that, that self-righteous, I'm in the right and, and I've been wronged. And... But of course, then a few seconds later, of course, the next thing that popped into my head was this sermon that I'm preaching here on Sunday. And I thought, well, actually, Jesus won't allow me to do this. He won't. And so I stopped and I prayed and I prayed for that person. I said, God, please show her your love and your grace and and please help me so that next time when she comes to my mind, help me so that my first response is not to indulge anger, but to pray for her and to love her. Perhaps you can resonate with that. Or perhaps as you're sitting here, you're aware of a relationship where where you know there's someone that you've been short-tempered with lately. There's someone who, who you've been snapping at, someone who you know you've not been gracious with. There are lots of euphemisms that we use to justify this, aren't, aren't there? We say, oh, I'm just so stressed out at the moment. It's been a tough day. I'm, I'm just so tired. You've caught me on a bad day. I'm, I'm just a passionate person. But Jesus won't allow us to be content with that. If that's us, he's calling us to stop. He's calling us to repent, to say sorry to the person we've been short-tempered with, to not hide behind the euphemisms. Or perhaps as you're sitting here, there's a situation that's come to your mind where the relationship is actually far worse than that. The relationship has actually broken down completely. Either because of a wrong that you've done or a wrong that's been done to you. And if that's the case, Jesus says to us, stop what you're doing. Leave your gift at the altar and go. Seek reconciliation. Go and make amends. Ask for forgiveness. Confess the sin that you've committed and seek their forgiveness. Don't let the relationship stay broken. Don't let it go unmended. Don't let it fester. These are strong words from Jesus, aren't they? They're confronting words from Jesus. They they, they hit us hard. Uh, it, It is good for us to feel the force of Jesus' words and to not dodge the force of Jesus' words. I do, though, also just want to add a a caveat as well, though, um, because it is true as well that there are some situations uh, where reconciliation won't be appropriate. And in fact, where reconciliation won't be possible. Uh, And it's important to acknowledge that uh, when a person who has sinned against us hasn't acknowledged or recognized and then repented of their sin, uh, reconciliation may not be either appropriate or possible. Uh, where there has been harassment or abuse, uh, reconciliation may not be either appropriate or possible. And so it's important to to note that. And and, um, I just want to say I'd be very glad um, if that's something you'd like to have a conversation about um, to chat to you um, after the service. They are strong words, though, from Jesus. And they're hard to dodge. Last week, Paul mentioned the quote from C.S. Lewis, Uh, where he said that listening to the Sermon on the Mount is like being knocked flat on your face by a sledgehammer. 
It does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? Jesus is making huge demands of us. So my question is, is it really possible for us to live up to them? Is it really possible? I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the answer is yes. And I think the answer is found back in verse 17 that we just read through very quickly. Have a look again. Jesus says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What does Jesus mean when he says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets? Um, there's a good summary in the, in the study guides on page 18, um, because there's probably a, a number of layers of meaning in that. But, but two parts of what that means. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law for us, and he fulfills the law in us. What do I mean by that? Well, the reality is there will be times when we will fall short. That is the reality of being sinful humans living in a broken world. In those moments, we can rest securely in the knowledge that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. Jesus, in his life on earth, perfectly obeyed every dot, every letter of God's law. He never sinned. When we fall short, we can know that Jesus never fell short. And so when we put our trust in him, his righteousness is credited to us. And when God looks at us now, what he sees is us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And that gives us great assurance. So Jesus fulfilled the law for us. But that's, that's not all of it. Because Jesus also now today fulfills the law in us. By his Holy Spirit, Jesus comes and he takes up residence in our hearts. And day by day, bit by bit, as we allow him to gradually renovate and make over our hearts, he enables us to live this out. I'm convinced that Jesus didn't just give us these commands just to tease us or to taunt us. That would make no sense at all. They are possible. They are livable. But only, only by the power of his spirit living within us. And so that's why we need to be continually looking back to him to strengthen us, to sustain us, to enable us to do this. That's the only way we're going to live it out. So as we finish, let me ask you, what's distinctive about your character? What's distinctive? Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you will be distinctive. You will look different. You'll have a righteousness that shines brighter. You'll be salt and light in your workplace. You'll be salt and light in your family, in your neighborhood. And you'll shine brighter because your righteousness will go deeper. You won't be content with, with shallow, skin-deep, surface-level righteousness. You'll allow Jesus to actually come in and make over the deepest recesses of your heart. And that's going to show itself in your relationships. It's going to show itself in how you deal with anger and how you respond to hurt. Um, so let me finish with this question. What's this deeper righteousness going to look like for you this week? This week, as we head out into work and everything that we're doing, I wonder if there's a relationship on your mind right now as we've been reading this through 
where you know that you've been harboring anger, where you know that you've been slow to forgive, where you know that you've been slow to repent and to seek forgiveness. Can I encourage you to not let another week go by without dealing with that situation, without mending that broken relationship, without making amends? Can I encourage you to not allow yourself even to go to bed tonight before you've made a plan of what you're going to do and how you're going to make amends and work towards reconciliation? Jesus says to us, live differently. Have a righteousness that shines brighter because it is much, much deeper. That's a challenge for us. Let's finish by praying together. Father, we thank you that you do speak to us through your word. And uh, these words are challenging God. They can feel like a bit of a slap in the face. They are strong words. They're hard for us to dodge. Uh, But Father, we, we thank you that Christ has fulfilled the law for us and he fulfills the law in us. Thank you that where we fail and where we sin, Jesus never failed and Jesus never sinned. And by your grace, we are now clothed in his righteousness if our trust is in you. And and I just thank you that that gives us great assurance as we stand before you. But thank you that Jesus also is working in our hearts now by his spirit to fulfill your law in us, to enable us to live this out. Thank you that you've not left us to our own devices, that you are at work shaping us and forming us and growing us so that these commands become possible for us. So, Father, help us this week to have a kind of goodness, a kind of righteousness that shines brightly for your glory because it is much, much deeper. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.